This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. Climate science as practice is hardly science at all, built on models uncooperated by data. The use of cherry-picked data when actual data is used and perverted peer review process that suppresses research that calls into question any of the main tenets of the climate crisis narrative. As bad as climate science is, It is still better than what passes for science education in general and climate science education in particular, as my guest, independent physicist John Draws, explains. The problems with and dangers from climate science education came to the forefront recently with the publication of an article uh, based on a, a podcast at Stanford University called How to Beat Bad Science. That's what John's here to discuss today. John, thanks for being with us. I appreciate the invite, Sterling. Thank you very much. So, John, before we deconstruct wrong statements made in this article, How to Beat Bad Science, and the myriad problems it highlights concerning climate science education as is being taught to teachers and students, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to work on climate and energy issues, including your history critiquing the push for big wind power. Okay, well, you said that quickly, but... Uh, Covers a lot of ground. This is 40-some years, so let me condense it into a few sentences. I uh, graduated from Boston College, a degree in physics, got an advanced degree in physics from Syracuse, worked for GE Aerospace, and retired when I was 34. Once I decided to retire, I could do whatever I wanted to, and I was interested in the uh, area of science that seemed to be uh, being abused for self-serving purposes. So I started out originally on water quality issues and got to know a lot of people, and they soon suggested I get involved with uh, wind energy. So I did, and uh, it's gone on from there. The energy matters go into uh, climate, which in turn goes into education, and so on and so forth. That's the shortest version I can take. That's a good short version, but I'm going to ask you to expand on one thing. You've been working on wind in particular for uh, a number of years. What is the organization that you sort of founded, and uh, what has it uh, been up to? Okay, for what uh, I decided to do is we need to have some organized response to wind energy uh, business, which are lobbyists. AWAA is the name of that. And uh, so I founded an informal network, I should say, of scientists and other interested parties called Alliance for Wise Energy Decisions. So I tried to make it uh, somewhat of a similar uh, acronym that uh, AWAA is. Is part of the idea. Um, So that in turn led me to having a website, which is still up here, uh, uh, Alliance for Wise Energy Decisions, which is uh, wiseenergy.org is the website. So your users should go to that, wiseenergy.org. And that in turn, uh, I started having a newsletter back in 2009. It was originally once a month. Now it's uh, twice a month. 
where I cover what uh, is not seen in mainstream media on such topics as energy, climate, education, elections, and so forth. My last uh, contribution is that I now have a Substack, done that for a year or so, where I have my own personal commentary on what seem to be hot topics. Maybe do those once a week. It's free. A lot of Substacks aren't, but it's free. And uh, anybody sends me an email, I'd be glad to sign them up for that. Well, thank you for that. There, you know, I came to I, I came to know you initially more than a decade ago because of your work on wind energy, and I've always thought of you as a go-to guy uh, for wind, wind energy. So, John, one could expend uh, thousands of words detailing all the troubling aspects of and statements made in the interview article. How to Beat Bad Science. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about the, the person who was interviewed, Jonathan Osborne, uh, and his, you know, why it's important to take this seriously. I mean, you, you know, look, the journal, who, who, who reads it? I don't know. But Osborne has some outsized influence because of who he is. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. I, I don't know him personally, but I looked him up and... Um... Clearly, he's a progressive. He's been involved in science matters in the past. One of the most uh, problematic, in my view, is trying to educate, uh, uh, let me rephrase that, miseducate our K-12 students, and that is through a vehicle called NGSS, Next Generation Science Standards, well, Jonathan Osborne was group uh, was part of a group of maybe 15 to 20 or so progressives who wrote that um, that material, and uh, it's it's very problematic to to put it politely. He so he is instrumental in the next generation science standards, which are like in what 45 or 48 states now used. 45 states uh, have adopted it in its entirety, 100 percent or mostly. So it's like. They all range between 90 and 100 percent. And, uh, and, and he's a professor of science education, what, at Stanford? Evidently, yes. Yeah. As I said, I don't know him personally, but yes, looking him up, that yeah. appears yes. So uh, he's, he's actually, his thoughts are um, being taught to our use. Yes. So it's, it's not as if he's just... Uh, a nobody. He may not be well known, but he's having, uh, I would argue, an outsized influence. Absolutely. Uh, now, Jonathan Osborne never defines what bad science is. Isn't that sort of a big deal, sort of crucial, since it's the title of the article is How to Beat Bad Science? It would seem to me it would be Sterling, yes. I mean, uh, how, how can you define what how to beat something if you don't know what the something is? Uh, but that, 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 I think, is indicative of the entire tone of the article. It's a little uh, flip. It's uh, superficial. It's uh, it's designed for what I would call non-critical thinkers. So that's another issue that I'm fighting in the realm of science because uh, – in my view, the most important education objective we should have, K-12 particularly, is to produce graduates who have an interest in and an ability to do critical thinking. And the most appropriate subject area for critical thinking to be taught is science. I mean, after all, scientists are people who automatically ask questions like who, what, how, why, and so forth. 
So that's where critical thinking should be taught. And in this uh, polemic that uh, Dr. Osborne and company wrote up, the framework, which is the basis for the NGSS, uh, critical thinking is not even mentioned. Critical thinking is not mentioned. How about the scientific method? Scientific method also is gone by the wayside. So most <laughs> so, people haven't even noticed that, and I, I just happen to be looking for it. So I found uh, in, the, in the framework, which is the basis for the NGSS, they had a one, this is like 450-page polemic here. So I found it buried on like page 324. I'm making that number, but something like that. And it says a one-sentence explanation of what happened here. It says, the scientific method has been deleted because it promotes linear thinking, unquote. <laughs> so, well, so, so it look, science itself. My opinion, that's what it says. Yeah. Well, that's highly debatable uh, that it does promote linear thinking. And even, second of all, linear thinking isn't a bad idea. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Most people don't even know about the scientific method other than they have a favorable treatment of it. If you, if you polled 100 citizens and said, what do you think about the scientific method? They'd say, oh, I had, I had that in high school. I yeah. thought it was a good thing. Then you'd say, well, do you realize that it's not being taught anymore? And they would be skeptical, say, why? Why would that be? Well, it's because of people like um, Jonathan Osborne here. That's why this little group of people. Yeah. So how long has the scientific method been going on? I checked that out. Actually, they've decided that the initial uh, basis of the scientific method started in Egypt, like 2000 B.C. So in other words, We've had the scientific method for approximately 4,000 years here. 4,000 years! And yet Jonathan Osborne and his progressive compadres decided that they are going to scrub it because it doesn't promote linear thinking. No, because it does promote... Only Einstein yes, knew that, thinking. and if only knew, uh, Newton knew it, and uh, Madame Curie, et cetera, et cetera. All these people were obviously yes. wasting their time doing science work here or doing it in a linear manner, so... Wow, we could have been way ahead if we don't well, listen to Osborne. I just, I, I mean, the, the main problem with his claim, with his, the, the lack of, of uh, acknowledgement and discussion, I would think it should be central to the discussion of science in the NGSS, is that <laughs> science, science is a method. Science isn't an end. Science yeah. is a way of finding knowledge, of gaining knowledge, of understanding how the world or the universe, uh, you know, whatever you're studying, works. And What I say, George, excuse me, before I interrupt you, is science is a process, but it's the same thing you're saying here. Yeah, science it's a process. a process. And the process is carried out through the scientific method. I think it was mm -hmm. first formalized uh, in some detail by Bacon, but uh, so that was much later than 4,000 years ago. But, I mean, he, he, he talked about testing and disconfirmability uh and um they've jettisoned this so but and and that's just one small problem with osborne's uh work and discussion but among the many problematic aspects of osborne's understanding of science i personally thought the most egregious idiotic <laughs> And flat wrong statement Osborne made was his definition of the goal of science itself, which he claimed was, quote, the achievement of consensus, unquote. What do you think of that claim? 
Well, <clears throat> I, uh, as a lifelong scientist, I'd say that's baloney. I never had the idea uh, that uh, we, our objective was to have consensus. I always thought science was about learning more about uh, the uh, physical realities of our uh, universe, our, our existence. Uh, which has nothing to do with consensus. In fact, my understanding of the history of science is that uh, scientists in the past who were great uh, typically became great because they uh, departed from consensus. Uh, they didn't repeat what everybody else was saying. They did something new and different that uh, was actually looked at as suspicious or wrong. I mean, for instance, when Einstein came up with a theory of relativity, do you think that, that was a consensus? Of course not. Uh, almost all the science at the time either knew nothing about it or said this is too hard to understand or doesn't make logical sense, blah, 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 blah. So the consensus at the time was there is no such thing as a theory of relativity. Well, I mean, at one time, let's go through a few other sort of consensus-busting uh, scientific discoveries, that little small things, like uh, at one time... Uh, the consensus was the Earth was the center of the universe. Everything revolved around it. And then Coper yep. Copernic Copernicus came along and broke with that. He, he actually defied the consensus. And he was right. Uh, the consensus was wrong. Um, uh, he, it wasn't accepted immediately. Galileo. Uh, the world was flat. Uh, according to the consensus. And Galileo suffered a bit for his views, uh, his non-consensus views, that uh, the Earth was in fact round. Of course, he was right. The consensus didn't like him being right, and uh, he he suffered some stuff. Uh, at one time, the consensus in, in, in medical science was that illness was an imbalance of these things called humors in the body and biles and uh, it was wrong. I mean, if 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 the whole goal of science was achieving consensus, none of the major, important, fundamentally important discoveries would ever have been made because they all break with consensus. Yep. Uh, no it, argument with me. Uh, yeah, Gal Gal Galileo would have just said, "Well, they said the Earth's flat. Okay, the Earth's flat." Uh, I'm not going to dispute that because that would uh, that would uh, go against the goal of science, which is consensus. In fact, I mean, you know, um, uh, uh, the book "The Structure of Scientific Revolutions" talked about how uh, discovery upsets, you know, overturns the apple cart of consensus, and that's what science is. Yes, right. That's what critical thinking is: is to be able to sort of think outside the box here. Right. Here's another example that's more recent. Some people say, well, Galileo was a long time ago. Up until very recently, uh, ulcers were just determined by the medical community, medical colleges, medical textbooks, doctors, uh, non-doctors, researchers, scientists, all believe that ulcers are caused by acids in the stomach. All of them. 100% consensus. Well, some researchers in Australia determined that uh, ulcers are caused by a bacterial infection. Nothing to do with acids in the stomach. Zero. Not even close. And uh, 
this is an astounding uh, change of perspective for these people, and they had to eat a lot of dirt here for to acknowledge this. But everyone going along with consensus, but no one took the time and trouble to check it out. No one proved that some ulcers are caused by acid. They just said, well, that's a logical conclusion, so we'll go with it. So it's the same type of thing that's going on in climate change and a lot of other stuff. No one's proven almost all these type of things, but it just sounds like it makes sense here, and it doesn't. Right. Now, um, could you, John, rec- uh, review each of Osborne's three recommendations for validity? He, d- he doesn't define what bad science is, but he does say here's some recommendations for validity to, find- to discover if something's valid. Okay. Well, he makes three things, and I've written this up about in my uh, Substack piece. So if people want to see a little more about it, they can check that out. Uh, his his first point, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, his first point is uh, that uh, students, that's who he's writing this for, students should be aware of conflicts of interest. Well, yeah, that's 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 an obvious thing. Yes, you should be aware if you're getting a biased information, just like uh, you ought to be aware of a conflict of interest from what uh, Osborne is telling you, because he has a bias here to promote his own uh, particular perspective on things, but. Yes, we should be aware of conflicts of interest. Number two is to evaluate the source's qualifications. Well, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily endorse that so much. Effectively, what he's saying is, don't believe someone unless they're a PhD with uh, that's been uh, written reports that are peer-reviewed and have uh, dozens of uh, uh, reports, studies, um, RCTs posted in magazine, scientific journals, and stuff like that here. Uh, it's, it's even it's even more no, but it's even more more strict than that. It's don't believe something that's not written by a person with an advanced degree in the particular field in which they're writing, yeah. unless of course it's Osborne, and then he can write about science even though he's not a scientist. And right, exactly. So yes, there there is a tiny bit of merit to saying you know the the person ought to have some qualifications. But uh, just because you're not a climatologist doesn't mean you can't uh, critique climatologists' conclusions. I mean, for example, one of the main things that climatologists depend on is computer modeling. So you can be an IT person and understand the limitations of computer modeling, have nothing to do with climate scientists whatsoever, and say, you know, you're basing your uh, assumptions on something that's uh, pretty weak. I would – Okay. I'm going to – I'm going to interrupt and, and say let's let's address a little bit of these one by one. First off, okay, you you want to be aware of potential biases or conflicts of interest, but in science, arguments and conclusions are based on evidence, and it doesn't matter who's making the argument. That's that's uh, how I've been taught. Even you know, Satan is called the father of lies, but even he could be telling the truth sometimes. And so you, you should, in my opinion, if, if you're doing this scientifically, you evaluate arguments based on not who's making the argument or what their potential bias is, but on whether the premises are true and the conclusions follow from the premises making the argument valid. And sound. We're, we're in agreement on that, Sterling. In his defense, he doesn't say to eliminate uh, cases where there's a conflict. Well, he words it sort of carefully. He says, be aware of conflicts of interest. 
And yes, there's nothing matter of being aware of it. Doesn't mean you discount it. It but just then, says you're aware of it. But then he does go on to cite particular groups that, oh, we got to be careful about these guys because of their sources of funding and things like that. It's like, well, hold Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yes. And then, and, and then he goes on to the second one, which is um, the expertise. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of PhDs who do a lot of work in the fields of batteries and uh, uh, electrical, you know, electrical stuff. Elon Musk doesn't have an advanced degree in either one of those things. If I want to know more about batteries and things like that, I'll go to him. And he's, you know, he wouldn't be considered an expert by Osborne. Uh, because what, what Osborne cares about is whether you have an advanced degree in a particular field. And if you're not in that field, you should shut up. So, Jordan Peterson, uh, a, a, a degree in, you know, a psychologist, a practicing psychologist who's become sort of a gadfly uh, because yeah. he has actually educated opinions on things outside of psychology uh, and he expresses them uh, persuasively. Um, he would, uh, he would have to shut up. You would have to discount him. I don't have him. a degree in the education field. Well, that's true. And I think that's a benefit, actually, because I haven't been propagandized going through getting an education degree. But I'm certainly qualified to understand how students are educated in my field, which is science, and that's why I picked that. I know more about uh, educating people about science than the teachers that are teaching it. Yeah, and that's and, and that would be true, I would argue, about a lot of people. You don't have to be a, a climatologist to assess claims. Um, yes, I don't necessarily want to know what a biologist thinks about the causes of climate change, but if I want to know about if if climate change is occurring and it's of a certain type, I do generally want to ask a biologist how will that impact whatever he's studying. But for wider things and general things, you don't have to be a biologist or a climatologist to understand the science and to examine the data for yourself and have uh, an opinion based on what the data shows. Yes, and I think it goes back to our prior earlier discussions, really, and that is science is a process. So any scientist can actually comment on whether another scientist has adhered to the process. Yeah, and then what's this? And, and so let's get to his third. His third. Uh... Third is that, uh, which is the most specious of all his three. Here, you're going downhill here. Uh, Quote, more rigorously question those who go against consensus. Of course, because consensus is what you're seeking. You know, if, if uh, yeah. it, 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 now, to be fair, that flows naturally from his belief that science is the pursuit of consensus. But uh, since that's not what science, in fact, is, he's trying to redefine the whole discipline. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. You don't look at whether it follows current thinking, you look at whether, once again, I'll say it, uh, it, it presents uh, evidence and the data that it presents leads to a conclusion logically that that's testable. And the more it's tested and, and seems right, the more likely it is to be accurate. And this is where I think you, you get problems with climate science. The more it's tested and it's wrong, you have to rethink the theory. <laughs> That's just not what they do. That's why they want to jettison, uh, yeah. I think, uh, the scientific method. Because when the, you test these climate models, which is w- what all this fear is based on, uh, 
when you test them again and again and again with their predictions, they are wrong. Well, with the scientific method, you're saying, yes. If yeah. You test them with them, yes, they fail. And, yes. and thus, under traditional science, you would normally say, okay, well, maybe it's time to rethink the theory. But instead, they say, you know, the climate orthodoxy says, are you going to believe your lying eyes, the evidence, or are you going to believe what we're telling you? Yes, the people on the left here have had a whole variety of um, policies. So I think COVID's another good one where they're telling you things to do, but when they're tested by science, like via the scientific method, they fail. So they had two choices. One is to change their technical policies or to get rid of the scientific method, who has become a, a roadblock to them, a gatekeeper that they uh, they don't like. So that's what they've done. The latter. <sighs> By the way, uh, the, your third point here, his third point, of rigorously question, in my, in my view, it ought to be rephrased that it's, you ought to be more rigorously questioning those who are part of the consensus. So if someone comes up and tells you, I'm a scientist, and you ought to be buying an electric vehicle, for instance, uh, a critical thinking person or a science writer person would say, why? And then they'd say something like, oh, well, it's going to save the planet. Say, okay, well, then you don't just stop there. You have to keep going. Okay, how is that going to happen? Explain to me how we're going to save the planet by me buying an electric vehicle and so forth. So you're, you're going more, that's what, that is what he's calling rigorously question, and that's what you ought to do. Somebody who's given you the, the standard uh, line here, and I think you find almost all the cases it's going to fail. Yeah. So Osborne, this is a an odd thing in in Osborne. Well, I mean, there's so many weird things in Osborne's article, or, another or, odd or, thing, or yeah. flawed thing. But but one that really struck me as odd because he's a science teacher at university, so he's teaching graduate students. Part of part of his job is he has graduate students that work under him. But then he says he explicitly states, graduate students, and this is a quote, are deluded into thinking they can work out the evidence for themselves. Time and again. Now, one would presume this is even more true uh, in Osborne's view of science teachers, students, and average people. In other words, you shouldn't apply critical thinking or weigh the evidence for yourself, but instead trust what experts say. Th this gets right to your point about critical thinking, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, these people are adamantly opposed to critical thinking. That's why in Osborne's uh, framework and NGSS, critical thinking isn't even mentioned, and yet there's an entire chapter in there about equity. Oh, my goodness. An entire chapter, equity, critical thinking not mentioned. What else do you need to know? But they don't want, the people on these left people, progressives, they don't want a critical thinking populace. That would be... Uh, a death knell to them because there's so many things they're trying to pull over on us that a little critical thinking would expose as being uh, inaccurate, fraudulent, whatever. Uh, they don't want that. They want people to be lemmings. They're supposed to be teaching people how to think, not what to think. Instead, he's doing just the opposite. But the interesting thing here is, look, if I'm one of his graduate students, at this stage, I'd say, screw you. I'm, I'm going to find another uh, mentor, right? I'm going to find somebody else to uh, handle my graduate work because you say I can't even think for myself. The, well, that would be a person who's interested in critical thinking. I mean, when I, part, of, part, of, part of my advanced degree was in my dissertation, I was supposed to make it an original contribution. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it, it, you do a, a large review of the literature in your field. That's part of it. But in the end, you're supposed to say something new. He's saying that they can't say anything new, that they're deluded if they think they can work stuff out for themselves. That's that's demeaning. What can I tell you, Sterling? That's why uh, I wrote about this. This is uh, astoundingly arrogant that uh, this person who portrays himself as an education expert, no less, a science education expert, uh, would make such assertions here. I, well, I wrote to him. I told you this, but your audience don't know. I did write to them, him and his interviewer, and said, uh, I, I find a lot of the stuff you say hard to explain, and I gave him several examples. And I said, uh, so what say you? Well, not a word back. Well, you know, I'm not even sure what his role as an ed science educator is, because um, if people can't work things out for themselves, why don't we just take whatever settled science is and, and just teach that over and over and over again? Uh, and you don't have to have an advanced degree to do that. You just say, oh, the earth is round. How do we know that? Well, everyone says so. Um uh, climate change is happening. How do we know that? Everyone says so. So that, that's that's your education in science under Osborne's sort of point of view, uh, and, and that's and that's the level of science that people can understand according to Osborne's point of view. Everyone says so. It's it's a popularity contest. We raise our hands and vote on the truth, and you know it's a social construction of knowledge. It's 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 all this uh, continental philosophy crap. Uh, Critical. Uh, <laughs> bleeding into our education system. Um, it's more than bleeding into, it's taking it over. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so, John, in closing, big picture, if there's one key point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today, what would it be? In my view, our, our, our ultimate salvation and the ultimate uh, defense that uh, citizens have is to be critical thinkers. Uh, it takes some work <clears throat> and some practice. Like any skill, it needs to be practiced. Uh, but uh, a critical thinking person here, that is their best defense against this type of belonging. John and it uh, ought to be taught in K-12, specifically, not and not indirectly. It, there should be specific classes on it. There needs to be teacher training on how to teach critical thinking. It needs to be done in K-12, particularly science, K-12. Well, I... I endorse that view. I, th I think you're 100% correct. Uh, I know I was at least given, uh, in my uh, public school education, I was given knowledge of the scientific method and how science is supposed to work, and it's certainly not what Osborne described in his uh, interview. Well, you know, another thing that really bothered me about this whole interview, um, we haven't mentioned this, but so he was interviewed. He had an interviewer. That guy didn't challenge him on any of his statements, didn't challenge him when he said science is the pursuit of consensus, right. didn't challenge him when he said people are too stupid to think for themselves. Um, that's why I wrote both of them back, not just uh, Osborne. I wrote them both back. I mean, that was that's poor journalism. So it was a poor, uh, poor discussion of science and poor journalism, all in the yep. same article. Yep. One uh, lied, the other swore to it. <laughs> John, it's been good to speak with you. I hope we do it again soon. In the meantime, I want to thank you for coming on the show on behalf of myself and our listeners and give you the opportunity to tell them how they can read more of your material and become familiar with your work. Simplest thing is to send me an email, uh, AAPRJohn, that's Apple Apple Peter Robert, J O H N, at 
northnet, one word, dot org. AAPRjohn at northnet.org. Uh, I can then sign you up for the newsletter and or the um, uh, Substack, both free. And you can look at my uh, links uh, for my sites. I'm sure that uh, Sterling will be publishing here on the site. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we continue to follow the work of John Draws. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. You might also jump on the Climate Change Roundtable live stream every Friday on your favorite social media streaming service, where Anthony Watts, Linnea Lucan, myself, and often guests discuss the climate topic of the week, complete with taking questions from viewers. Thanks. Take care. Bye. <music>